Classic manhood. Vintage values from the life of Job. What I'm talking about is how we can strive to be the best men that we can be for God. That's what's vitally important in today's culture is that we strive as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christ followers, we strive to be the best men that we can be for a holy God in a culture that is blind to the things of God. So that's what we're talking about, classic manhood. And I'm calling it classic manhood because we're going way back to what is believed to be the oldest wisdom literature in the canon of Scripture, the Bible, called the Book of Job. And we're going to go to chapter 29. So find chapter 29 if you would. We're not sure who wrote the Book of Job, but we do know he was an actual man and not some figurative character because both the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, and James in the New Testament refer to Job as a man who lived and walked on the earth. What Luke writes in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus could very well be said of Job when he said about Jesus, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. We learn that throughout the reading of the book of Job. Like Jesus, Job was devoted to serving God with his life. Like Jesus, he lived his life unselfishly. Like Jesus, Job was oppressed by Satan and suffered greatly, yet remained faithful to God through it all. So we can say of Job, he lived like Jesus lived. You know, it can be said of many men. That's a good man. He's a good father. He's a good husband. He's an example of a good good man. We can say of many men, That's a good strong man. That's a hard-working man. He's a man's man. We say of some men, that's a man's man. But did you know that there are some that we can say, there's a man who's a godly man. He is God's man. That's what Job was. Job was a good man. He was a man's man. But most importantly, he was God's man. God himself said of Job in the first chapter, verse 8, There is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. God said that of this old writing in Scripture. We read, God says, Job is a God's kind of man. So I want to share three vintage values with you from the life of Job. And How did I come across this? Sometimes that's important to us. Uh, it's nothing unusual in my daily... I'm, do, I'm on the two-year Bible reading plan this time. In one of my daily readings, it was through the book of Job that I was going through, and I came across this chapter, and I underlined it, and the Lord said, just as plain as could be, reference that because there's your Father's Day message. I'd never preached on this passage before. And it just so simply stood out, even here and as I got into chapter 31 that this was a great message that men need to hear. Now, whether or not I've fashioned it together greatly, that's a different story. But the word of the Lord is great for men right here in Job 29, all right? In Job 29, he's been suffering with leprosy. We know that he's lost his family. He's lost everything that he had. He had been a great man of great wealth. But God had allowed Satan to test Job. And with all of this physical trouble, with all of this loss, of substance, and of family, all of this grief that he's going through, 
his closest friends have come and they're trying to figure out, Job, there's got to be a reason for this. There's a reason you're suffering all this stuff. It's at the hand of God because you're full of sin. Job, we don't see it, we don't know, but you're holding back from us. You're guilty of something. Just confess what it is, man. Just admit it, confess it, and let's be done with it. You know, just say what it is. Come on, Job. And Job says, no, it's none of those things. He declares three values that are characteristic of his life. And I want to begin to go over them starting in chapter 29. Find verse 7 if you would. So verse 7 says, those were the days. This is Job talking. Job making declarative statements to his friends. Those were the days when I went to the city gate and took my place among the honored leaders. The young stepped aside when they saw me, and even the aged rose in respect at my coming. The princes stood in silence and put their hands over their mouths. The highest officials of the city stood quietly, holding their tongues in respect. All who heard me praised me. All who saw me spoke well of me. First, I think we can see as men, especially here today, we can see that Job had influence. I want us to look at his influence first. He must have been a man of great wisdom, a man of great knowledge, and we know that through the scriptures that he certainly was. But whenever he showed up at the city gates to discuss community and civic matters, we know that those who showed up at the city gates were where the leaders met together. They came and they made decisions. They discussed matters affecting the community or the city. They would come together. And when Job would come and stand among them, they would stand silent and listen for what Job had to say. They didn't interrupt Job. It said the young would step aside. Other translations read it like this. They ran and hid themselves. The young ran and hid themselves. And I can only think of one reason the young run and hide themselves when a man, an astute man, a godly man, a man of great wisdom and knowledge steps forward. The young run and hide who have been delinquent in their behavior. They don't want to be around someone who may call them on the carpet for it. So that translation may be adequate here. But certainly they went and they stepped aside and they listened to what Job had to say or they ran and got out of the way. He was a worthy man of respect and perhaps didn't tolerate juvenile delinquency or nonsensical behavior. Don't assume that Job, by the things that we read and say here, means he's a killjoy. Job must have been a killjoy. Boy, I bet his children hated him. I bet they didn't like him. Well, we know that his children were guilty of sin. The Bible says in the first chapter he would offer sacrifices on behalf of his wayward children, his children and their sin. Job was a man who went before the Lord on their behalf. And so we shouldn't think of him as a killjoy. Rather, we should look at Job as a man who took life seriously and who asserted himself as a responsible leader in his family, in his home, and in the community in which he lived. He was a person of influence in his community. You know, some men just want to play. The more toys they have, the better, they think. Some want to be known just for having fun. He's a fun guy. He just likes to live it up all the time. Some like to be known for that. Some want to be the life of the party. Even on up in their 40s and 50s, they still want to be the life of the party. 
Some want to be just good old boys. They'll do anything for anybody and they'll become anything for anyone. They're just good old boys and that's their goal in life. Just be a good old boy. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I grew up, is what Paul said. There was a time when I did what kids do. There was a time when I did what young men do. But then I grew up and I put away those kinds of things and I began to take life more seriously and I began to see the role that a man plays in the culture of the day. The one who has knowledge and wisdom and who takes seriously what is right and what is wrong, even if it means people won't like him anymore, he's the one who will have lasting influence in the culture around him. Job had influence. And I would say we can all have influence if we're willing to take life seriously. And there's no greater place for a man to have a positive impact and positive influence than in his home, among his own children, his wife, his family, his in-laws, and his church, and in his community. He can have great influence around those closest to him. And how did he come to have such influence? Well, look, at, look with me in verse 12. He tells us how. In fact, he even says it's because of this reason. They stepped aside, they listened, they looked, they learned from Job because he says, I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope and they blessed me. And I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe and I wore justice like a turban. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. Verse 17, I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and I plucked their victims from their teeth. He wasn't a killjoy. He, was no, he wasn't trying to be the life of the party. He took life seriously, but he was not a sissy man. You hear what I'm saying? If somebody needed help, Job went forward. If somebody was being oppressed, by godless enemies, by the godless people of the day. Job went and snatched them from their feet. He says they were evildoers. Job was not a sissy. He was a man's man. He was a good man. And most importantly, he was God's man. And we see that here in his investment. So he had influence, but he also had an investment. He invested in people who were without hope. He mentions here seven kinds of people or seven different kinds of situations people get into. He mentions the poor. He mentions the orphan who is alone, who has no parent to help them. He mentions the widow. He mentions the blind who cannot see. He said, I became eyes for the blind. And he says, the lame, those who could not move. He said, I became feet for the lame. He said, strangers who he did not know, but he was aware that they needed help. Victims who were being taken advantage of by the ungodly. Just seven people. I have a, a sneaking suspicion those were just not the only seven. That there were many more life situations people find themselves in, and Job found people who needed hope. 
He didn't find people to take advantage of. He didn't find people who would make his life better. He said, I'm going to help people out. I'm going to invest my life in people who cannot help themselves. He invested in people by caring for people. I think we all can quote the statement and it's true. People don't care how much you know until they know. Let's try it again, all right? Y'all are falling asleep on me already. All right, you stayed up too late last night. Kicking up sawdust or something, I don't know. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They really don't care what you say if you don't care about them. Men all around you are people in need. You say, well, I just really don't see all this. You know, I don't see ways I can be of help. I don't see ways I can invest my life. I have no money. I really don't have anything extra to give. I just, that's just not me. I don't have time for one, okay? I've got kids at home. They all need my total time and attention. I've got a wife. I've got things to do. My job is overwhelming. I just, you know... I'm already getting off at 9 o'clock at night. And preacher, you're just lucky I'm here today because this is my only day off this week. You know, and I, I came because they made me do it. You know, that might be what you're saying. That Yes, you can invest in people. You can invest in the man at work who's down and out, who just needs some encouragement. You can encourage someone. You can invest in the person at the grocery store who you see wandering around. You do not know them. They're a stranger. They're wandering around. And you can tell by how they're wandering around searching for something to buy that they're just hoping they have enough money in their hand to buy something to eat for now. They don't know what they're going to buy for later. They don't know that they can afford it. You can help them. God's blessed you in a way to do that. A friend of mine who attended the same youth group, he's two years younger than I am, attended the same youth group when I was growing up in the little town of Pampa, Texas. I never knew that Kyle would end up being a pastor, but he went to Assembly of God Bible College, as did many of the people where I grew up. I grew up in an Assembly of God church, and so Kyle grew up in that youth group, and and, uh, he went on to be a pastor with the Assemblies of God. He ended up years ago in Wichita Falls at a church there. That church has grown to over 500 now. And he has stayed there for about 20 years now, as far as I know. But one thing that I've learned about Kyle, even though I've not seen Kyle since, we, since I got out of high school virtually, is one of the things that I see about Kyle, and I follow him on Facebook, is that Kyle saw a need in the community of Wichita Falls, Texas. Kyle recognized that foster kids, once they turned 18 years of age, were being forced out of the foster care system into these communities without having any parents, without having a home, some of them without jobs, and most of them without any skills for life as 18-year-old kids. They were being pushed out into the world, and the world wasn't being nice to them. So Kyle saw this need, and he recognized that 1,500 18-year-olds in Texas each year are dumped out of the foster system and go out unprepared to face life on their own. So he started something called Phased In. Phased In is for those who are being phased out. He works to bring them in. He reaches out to these young adults, providing homes, helping them advance their education, to find work, to attend church, and to learn the truths of Scripture and to live their life according to what it means to follow Christ. 
They have a home for boys in Wichita Falls. They're currently building uh, that's 14, uh, 14 boys in that home. They're building one for 16 girls in Wichita Falls. They have homes in Arlington, Texas now. And as a result, Kyle has been a guest speaker. I can't name all the places. I'm aware uh, more recently over the last year or so that he has been a guest speaker in Brazil. He has been a guest speaker all the way to Russia. He has spoken before the Texas legislature and he is doing things that are helping young people all while pastoring a church of more than 500. I look at this and I feel like a man this tall. I say, Lord, I can't do that. Well, he may not have gifted me to be able to do that, to have that kind of administrative skills. But listen, he's gifted me to do some other things. The question is not, can I do what he's doing? The question is, am I doing what God's enabled me to do? Am I doing what God allows me to see to do? To see a need that I can fulfill. That's the question for me. Not to be like someone else. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm proud to have known Kyle. I hope that he can continue on doing what he's doing. His church is fired up about it. Many other people and organizations are fired up about it. And they're starting to invest in these children. Because they see it as a mission field. They are helping people who have no hope. And they are utilizing it and seeing it as a mission field for the Lord Jesus Christ. By investing in people. People will never know how much God cares until we show them by investing in their lives and giving them hope. Job invested himself in delivering people who were oppressed. But there's something else that we read. And I want you to turn over to chapter 31 this time and find with me verse 5. Here's what he says to his friends in defense. Have I lied to anyone or deceived anyone? That's a matter of integrity, isn't it? Have I lied to anyone or deceived anyone? He says to his friends. And here's his response to his own question. Let God weigh me on the scales of justice. For he knows my integrity. <laughs> you know what I pray? Oh God, don't weigh me on the scales of justice. Not today, you know. Oh God, I know I'm less than perfect. Man, if not for your grace, I'd have, you'd have done had me under. Job says, let God weigh me. He knows my heart. Let God weigh me on the scales of justice. On, uh, another translation says, find some true, honest scales, which evidently dishonest scales were an issue. We know there are scriptures that talk about that. Dishonest scales were an issue. You know, somebody makes a profit because his scales aren't quite right. Well, come, weigh your, come weigh your produce on my scale. Because I like my scale better than your scale. And their scales aren't right. He says, get, some, get me some honest scales. Put my life on it. And let God be the judge. He knows my integrity. Wow. Wow, what a, what a thing to be able to say. And men, you can say that. You can live your life in a way that you say that. He had influence. He had personal investment in the lives of people to give them hope. But he also had integrity and he maintained his integrity. Not only did he deal justly with everyone else, he dealt fairly with himself. True story of a Michigan judge. His name was Raymond Voet. He violated one of his own courtroom policies. He had a policy that forbade anyone from using electronic device in his courtroom, and if it went off and it interrupted a court proceeding because it was obnoxious or whatever, whether it was a phone or, or a game device, whatever it was, 
he fined the individual. He held them in contempt of court. He took the device and he fined them and he got them out of the courtroom. That was his normal thing. Anyone having a phone ring aloud received that fine. Over the years, attorneys, police officers, witnesses, and spectators had broken the rule and received their punishment. During the closing arguments of a particular trial, someone's smartphone went off and started talking. It was Siri saying, I can't understand you. Say something like, Mom. It happened to be the judge's new phone. The judge confessed to the court, I guess I bumped my phone and caused it to start talking real loud. That's an excuse, however, and I don't take those excuses from anyone else. I set the bar high here because cell phones are a distraction. The courtroom is a special place in the community, and it needs more respect than that. Judges aren't above the rules. I broke the rule, and I have to live by it. During the next break of the trial, Judge Voet held himself in contempt and paid the same fine that he issued to anyone else who interrupted a court proceeding. That's integrity. He said, I'm not above my own rules. I'm going to live my life with integrity. I want to be able to walk down the street and people say, you know what, that guy holds himself accountable to what he preaches. That guy holds himself accountable to walk for the Lord Jesus. That's the kind of men God wants in our culture. So you may have God in your life, but without integrity, you'll not have godliness. You can have God in your life, but without integrity, you cannot be considered godly. God with integrity is godliness. God with righteousness is godliness. God wants us to be men of godliness. So Job's friends were accusing him of sin in his life. But he was so certain of his integrity, he stood his ground. He said, let God be the judge. My heart is pure before God. That's how certain he was. What's the best thing a man can leave behind for his family? What's the best thing a man can leave behind for his children? Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. The best thing a man can leave behind for his children is not gold and silver. It's a good name. It's his integrity. Is there something in your life that's compromising your integrity? Men or women alike. Whatever it may be, get it out. Get it out. Your name is worth more than that. And more than that, the name of Jesus is worth it all. Walk in your integrity. Leroy Imes was a Marine. Leroy Imes served for more than 50 years with a group called the Navigators. Many of you have heard of the Navigators. They're a discipleship ministry. He served with them over 50 years, and he recounts this story when he was serving in the Marines in the South Pacific during World War II. He said... And I quote, shortly after we hit the beach, our armored amphibious tank took two artillery shells broadside. We immediately evacuated our disabled vehicle and we darted from hole to hole toward the enemy airstrip, which we were commanded to overtake. The sergeant began to check on us to make sure we were okay. He crawled over to me and he said, Imes, are you all right? I said, yeah, Sarge, I'm okay. He looked at me and he said, Imes, where's your helmet? I felt the top of my head and I answered, I must have left it in the tank, Sarge. Where's your duty belt? Our duty belts carried the ammunition for our rifles. 
carried a canteen of water and a bayonet. It must be in the tank too, Sarge. He continued, as a matter of fact, Imes, where's your rifle? Imes concluded his story. Because of our hasty departure from the amphibious tank, I was dressed about the same way I would have been dressed for a game of volleyball. And there I was, hopping from hole to hole and from tree to to tree. Men, there is a battle being waged for your life. The enemy, Satan himself, knows if he can get the man to bow down to him, if he can get the man to turn away from God, if he can get the man to mess up his life, then he's achieved a great thing. He can pretty much destroy a family. He is out for your soul. He's out for the soul of your family members. Don't be hopping around from hole to hole being ill-equipped for this great battle, this spiritual battle for your soul. Prepare yourself each and every day to be God's man. Don't just settle for being a good man. Don't strive to be a man's man. Strive to be God's man. You can start right now. You can start with that right here today. You can start right today by making the commitment to know Christ and to follow Him And if you've already made that decision, you can further that decision and say, Today, though, I want to be more of God's man. Today, I want to be God's man for my home, God's man for my family. And if you don't have a family, you don't have children, you're not married perhaps, today can be the day that you say, No matter, I'm going to be God's man for myself because the world needs men like that.